Our scripture lesson is from Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and chapter 3, verses 10 and through 13. 10 and 13. 10 through 13, sorry. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, in order that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished, the Lord stirred up the spirit of King Cyrus of Persia, so that he sent a herald throughout all his kingdom. And also written, he de declared, Thus says King Cyrus of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdom kingdoms of the earth, and has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of those among you who are of his people, may their God be with them, are now permitted to go up to Jerusalem in Judah and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem, and let all survivors in whatever place they reside be assisted by the people of their place with silver and gold, with goods and animals, besides free will offerings for the house of God in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. When the seventh month came and the Israelites were in their towns, the people gathered together in Jerusalem. Then Jeshua, son of Josadak, with his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, with his kin set out to build the altar of God of Israel, to offer burnt offerings on it, as prescribed in the law of Moses, the man of God. Were, wait. Oh, yeah. They set the altar up on its foundation because they were in dread of the neighboring peoples, and they offered burnt offerings upon it to the Lord morning and evening. And they kept the festival of booths as prescribed and offered daily burnt offerings, a number according to the ordinance, as required for each day. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments were stationed to praise the Lord with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, according to the directions of King David of Israel. And they sang responsibly, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for, his, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people responded with a great shout when they, heard, when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests, Levites, and heads of families, old people who have seen the first house on its foundation, wept with a loud voice when they saw this house. Though many shouted aloud for joy, that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sounds of the people's weeping. For the, sound sh for, the pe for the people shouted so loudly that the sound was heard from far away. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Gabe. And let us pray. We are grateful, holy God, for this journey through Advent, this journey to come home anew to you, this journey to discover the depth of your love and your grace and goodness in this world and in each of our lives. And we pray, Lord, that in these moments, you'll continue to speak to us, that through these words I now offer, you'll speak your word of grace and love and truth and invitation, the very one that each one of us 
most need to hear. For we pray this with gratitude and gladness. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of Ezra is one you may not be very familiar with. It does not get the same attention or airtime as many other books in the Bible. Over the past two weeks, we have heard from the prophets Jeremiah and Isaiah, prophesying and warning about the coming exile of the people. The leaders and people of Israel are taken from Jerusalem by the Babylonians and removed from their city, from their homes, and taken into exile, into captivity. Ezra picks up the story several generations later, telling of the dramatic and emotional moment where the people get to come back. They get to return to their home in Jerusalem that their ancestors had left behind. And their return brings a complicated mixture of emotions and reactions, both for them and for those who weren't taken into exile. Will those who were never in exile understand what they went through? Will those who were in exile and are able to come home at long last be able now to be who they truly are and practice the traditions and values that mean so much to them? Both have had traumatic experiences. The one group has been taken away from their home, the nation that gave them their sense of identity and belonging. They've been in exile. The other group has stayed and lived in a worn, torn, desolated country. And so the people of God returning from years of captivity, they find themselves at an in-between moment. It's a particular moment in time where they know what the past has been, but it is not clear to them at all what the future will hold. They were between the present and the past, between exile and liberation, between promise and fulfillment, and in the broadest possible perspective, between heaven and earth. I think of how we too often find ourselves at an in-between moment, a moment of displacement, a moment when that which we built our hope upon often seems to fail us, a moment when our efforts and ability to create the future we intend seem wobbly, uncertain, a moment between the known yesterday and the unknown tomorrow. It's a fascinating part of this morning's text how King Cyrus calls upon the people to rebuild the temple of Jerusalem, and they do. And the people respond with a great shout when they praise the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord had been laid. Yet some of the old-timers weren't so sure this moment merited a praise of thanks to God. Many of the priests and Levites and heads of family 
older people who had seen the original temple, the one that had been destroyed years earlier, wept with a loud voice when they saw this new one. The people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. The previous temple, no doubt about it, had been beautiful, a great wonder of the world. People traveled hundreds of miles to behold it. And this temple is not that temple. But that temple was built by slaves in honor of a God who liberated slaves. This temple will be built by a diverse collection of people who freely bring the faith and gifts that they have to bring honor to God. Sometimes we're like those priests and Levites and heads of families. We do not want to let go of the past. We idealize it. We romanticize it, making it nearly impossible for anything in the present or in the future to live up to it. In our lives, our ministry, our faith journey, can we allow ourselves to grieve what was even as we are called into what will be? It's the foundational question that Almighty God puts to us. Can we allow ourselves to grieve what was as we are called into what will be? Years ago, after the 24 years, years ago, after 24 years of being married, my parents' marriage ended in divorce. And a few years later, my mom met someone else and fell in love with him, and they decided that they would get married. And I confess, I was not as supportive of that new chapter in her life as I could have been. My younger sister in the choir was much more gracious. <laughs> but I confess, I resented it. I pushed back on it. I even probably communicated a, a few microaggressions once in a while in hopes of derailing it. I didn't know what that word meant then, but I, I know what it means now. My parents had been years overdue for a divorce, yet I clung to the hope that we would get back to that place we had once been in the past. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever clung to the hope that you would get back to some place that you had once been and it prevented you from being fully present and alive to where you were? Is there some part of your life, your faith journey, where one season is drawing to an end and some grieving and letting go is needed and another season Will soon begin and you were at an in-between moment maybe you're a senior in high school or college you'll be graduating in the spring and a, a new chapter will be starting maybe you're dealing with changes in your health the loss of someone you love maybe you're considering 
moving to a, a smaller place, or perhaps you need a bigger place, or moving to a place that can provide support and care as you continue to get older. Maybe the shift going on in your life is that you feel a nudge or a quiet whisper from God. God is wanting to be more at the center of your life. God wants God's love to be what defines you. Not something else, not someone else's opinion, not some achievement you earn or goal you reach. God's unconditional love. It's a moment of possibility, of new beginnings. Yet it may also be a moment of anxiousness or of fear. How does God call us to navigate the in-between moments? And how does the perspective of our faith allow us to view them and experience them differently? Donald Rumsfeld served as Secretary of Defense under President George W. Bush from 2001 to 2006. Those years following the September 11 attack when the U.S. government was so keenly focused on preventing future terrorist attacks. And in a news briefing that took place in 2002, Rumsfeld was asked about the evidence linking the government of Iraq with the supplying of weapons of mass destruction to terrorist groups. And in his memorable response, here's what he said. Reports that say something hasn't happened are always interesting to me. Because as we know, there are known knowns. There are things we know, we know. But we also know there are known unknowns. That is to say, we know there are some things we do not know. But there are also unknown unknowns. The ones we don't know, we don't know. And if one looks throughout the history of our country and other free countries, it is the latter category that tends to be the difficult ones. He became so known for those words that he spoke that day that when he wrote his biography, his autobiography some years later, he titled it Known and Unknown, a memoir. I don't often quote Donald Rumsfeld in sermons <laughs> or anywhere else, but his words got me thinking. As people of faith, there's so much about our individual and collective future that is known. The Apostle Paul summed it up so well when he said, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing that comes our way. No person or power or disappointment will separate us from God's love. We know that. It's a known known. Yet the part that many of us resist, I know I do, are those aspects of our future that are unknown. 
the periods of wilderness or exile or loss that we might go through, the, the blessings or the healing or hope or a deepening of our faith that we might receive, but we don't know quite when it will happen and, and quite how it will happen. And we live so much of our lives between the past and the future, between the known and the unknown. We have seen God's abundant love and mercy unfold in our lives. We have tasted its sweetness. We have been held up by its strength. And at the same time, we don't know what surprises or challenges tomorrow will bring. In that beautiful old hymn, we sing, Our God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. The question is, do we believe it? That part about being our hope for years to come. Do we hold fast to that promise? In her book entitled, Help, Thanks, Wow, Anne Lamott writes, If we stay where we are, where we're stuck, where we're comfortable and safe, we will die there. If you want to know only what you already know, you're dying. When nothing new can get in, that's death. When oxygen can't find a way in, you die. But new is scary and new can be disappointing and confusing. We had this all figured out, and now we don't. Will Willimon was the chaplain at Duke University for many years, and he tells the story of a woman who, after her diagnosis of cancer, prayed twice every day for God to heal her. A year later, as she entered her third round of chemotherapy, she said, well, it looks like, once again, God isn't on my schedule. I guess God's decided to heal me at some other place in some other time. And Willimon adds to that. He says she had been given a level of faith in that time I have yet to reach. And so, friends, how about you? Do you find yourselves this day at an in-between moment? Are you somewhere between the present and the past, between exile and liberation, between promise and fulfillment? For God was faithful to you in your periods of exile, your times of wilderness, your seasons of dislocation, God was present. God's love was not on hold, taking a break. It was with you. And as you anticipate what is ahead amidst the known unknowns and the unknown unknowns, God will continue to be with you. God will continue to be faithful. God's love will pour with abundance onto your life. As we continue our journey through Advent, it is the promise of our faith. 
It is the hope that is ours in the child born in Bethlehem.